There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before we get started with this episode of Benched with Bubba, I want to tell you I am stoked to be collaborating with Rotoballer this 2020 season with the Benched with Bubba podcast joining the Rotoballer radio network. Since 2013, Rotoballer has been grinding away, providing millions of fantasy baseball players their fix for in-depth MLB analysis and player news. If you haven't heard, Rotoballer 2020 MLB draft kit is live, and all Benched with Bubba listeners can get 10% off Rotoballer's draft kit by using the discount code BUBBA. Rotoballer is home to the number one Fantasy Pros Accuracy Ranker, Nick Mariano. Nick's 2020 rankings and projections are available as part of Rotoballer's draft kit, along with printable cheat sheets, draft sleepers, and busts. More than 300 2020 player outlooks and tons of in-season tools. All this fantasy baseball goodness from Rotoballer is available for 10% off with a discount code Bubba. Just go to rotoballer.com backslash Bubba and get your draft kit today. They have tons of great stuff and you get premium with promo code Bubba, DFS, all the goodies. Use promo code Bubba, sign up at Rollerballer, connect your 10% off with promo code Bubba. Now to tonight's episode of Bench with Bubba. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bub on the Bat Flip, episode 42. Last week, we talked about the 60-game season, a little bit of strategy involved there. Today, we get into uh, some positional recaps to get us ready for all that goodness. You can find me on Twitter at BDNTrick. And as always, you can see his face live now on Twitter at BatFlipCrazyToby. How are we doing, man? We're doing great, Bubba. This is like a new – we're in like a new dimension. Yes. We're in a new, like, this is a new era of our podcast. And I mentioned yes. to you this you, this to you the other day, but we're almost at our one-year anniversary. You That's know, like, it's, it's coming up, deal. and it just seems fitting that we should go the, you know, live broadcast route. I mean, yes. you know, we're we're exciting people. Yes, no, that, no doubt. It's it's live on YouTube. I, I, I Once we get to make sure everything works properly, I said this on my other podcast, 
is I'll start we'll start putting it on the Twitter feeds and do all that stuff. But mm-hmm. I want to iron things out a little bit to make sure everything's good to go. But uh, people can see our our faces, at least my face that's made for radio, and then your pretty face. So <laughs> we'll be good to go there. Um, yeah. So I mean, we're I feel like we're ironed out already. I mean, we are the most ironed <laughs> out podcast. People probably listen to us and they're like, "Hey, these guys probably do like ten takes." on each episode just to make sure it sounds so smooth. But little do they know there's very limited editing involved. We're just naturally gifted people. We are as raw as it comes. So (laughs) you're going to get it right here. Um, Like I said, we got the 60-game schedule. We haven't seen the schedule, of course. But um, we know what's happening, and that's all coming up. And we're starting to see some rosters come out. Eventually, we can start talking about those more in depth. We did see a couple guys opt out on Monday, and we can kind of hit on those real quick before we do the positions. And you, you tweeted out something really awesome that, you know, as much as I, I even like, you know, we'll talk about Ian Desmond. I said, oh, great. So that means more playing time for so-and-so. If anybody thinks I'm downplaying, like I'm totally supportive of these guys taking the time. Like if they want to be with their family and be safe, I 100% agree with what they're doing. So that's never my incline, like my meaning behind it. It's more so that, in reality, if we're doing fantasy baseball, we have to look at the – it's like when a guy gets Tommy John surgery. Do we want him to get surgery? No, but we have to look at the positives. So um, first, Toby, I'll let you have the floor since you have something nice to say if you'd like to talk about that. Oh, you mean my tweet? Yes, you're very oh, nice. Well, I mean, I just think it's – I think, like, number one, like, it's important just to acknowledge at the front end that, you know, it's people's lives and, like, their health and well-being that's there. And so supporting people, you know, I think the players that do – you know, I imagine that they're going to get a ton of flack. Like I, I never go down the Twitter kind of response or Instagram response like route, but I'm sure people are getting hammered for it, you know, because they're seen as privileged athletes. But just like anybody else, they have families. Their health is the same. Right. And like a lot of the people who are opting out, it's not even them. It's their families that they're concerned about. And you have to have a lot of respect for that. I mean, it's not like they're not giving up anything to do that. Right. They're giving up a lot in terms of salary and and service time and things like that in order to do that. And then I also think it's just important uh, to acknowledge that like, you know, like we love fantasy baseball. Like I'm not going to lie. I'm super excited to be playing with the opportunity to play fantasy baseball this year. And then recognizing though, that that also comes at the sacrifice of people's health and well-being. And you never want that to happen. It's not like baseball is alone in this industry, right? Like it happens in a lot of different ways, right? The things we enjoy are the fruits of, quite literally like the labor of other people. And so just acknowledging um, that, you know, at first, and obviously like there's some, you know, it's like, I acknowledge that, but in the same sense, we got to be excited about playing baseball. Like that's what, that's what we're passionate about and that's what we know. And so um, I just thought it was important just to kind of throw that out there. Not as like a, you know, Hey, I'm like really thoughtful or whatever, but just like, just thinking about that, right? Like having that in the back of your mind, especially with everything that's going on in the world right now, I think it's important to acknowledge that. So um, that's about it. But I, I just put that out there. That's why I wanted you to say it because you said it. I, I echoed your sentiments. You said it so much better than I can. So that's why that's why I wanted you to talk about it because we're excited about baseball, not at their expense, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about you're, it. You're much you're much more concise than I am. See, that's <laughs> the thing is I'm I'm long winded, but. Well, if I get long-winded, I can get myself in trouble. So I just stop. <laughs> cool. Let's, let's <laughs> but, do that then. Let's, let's keep it like that. <laughs> but um, so recent news, a couple guys that have come down. Ryan Zimmerman of the Nationals was kind of rumored to, to happen already. He's going to opt out this season. And then so is uh, Mr. Ross out of the rotation, which is 
big if we look at the fantasy viewpoints for one of your favorite starting pitchers in the Nationals. So in reality, my quick glance, Howie Kendrick, Eric Thames, even more secure playing time, and then your boy, Mr. Voth. So you have the floor to wax poetically about Mr. Austin Voth. (laughs) Well, I mean, Voth has just been one of the favorite, one of my favorite guys. You know, I have him in a number of different drafts. I think like eight drafts so far. He has the repertoire. I mean, last year he had three pitches with a swinging strike rate above 15%. Um, He pitched really well. Um, All of the expected metrics were pretty much in line. If you look at some of um, Alex Chamberlain's work over, over that he does on his pitch leaderboard. Um, So he's got, he's got, and he's also got an analytical point of view. Like if you read some of his quotes from earlier on in spring, he was pitching well, he was clearly working with a knowledge of what might make him a more effective pitcher. And I think that that's awesome. So he's got kind of everything that you want. And then you drop him in the nationals, a great rotation. He's going to be a fifth starter. He's not going to go deep into games. You know, he's kind of like he was between four and six innings pitch last year. But if he gets the chance to be stretched out because he worked some in the bullpen with the Nats last year, I think he can go five to six, you know, eventually. I, I don't know where he's at right now. But I think that's the kind of guy who could be super beneficial because he's got everything that you need to be an effective pitcher He's done it at least in a small sample size before. Great context, great environment to do to do it well. And so I'm really excited. I'm just it's a little bit of a bummer because I thought I didn't think Joe Ross was that good. Like he's always struggled with kind of control, especially after his injury. And so having the opportunity, like, you know, to maybe get Voth at a discount because people thought maybe Joe Ross would get drafted. I think that's gone now. So I, I expect him to move up pretty, pretty quick. I think the high 200s. Um, low 300s would be a likely destination for him when all is said and done. And, and so you'll just have to figure out whether it's worth it or not. Ooh, I just saw that our ticker down there just updated. What? That yes, happened? I, I'm learning things as we go. Ooh. Learning things as we go. So, you yes. know something? We respect our listeners so much that we want you to learn with us. You yes. know what I'm saying? Like we just dropped, like Bubba just dropped like a beautiful banner at the bottom of your screen. <laughs> and I hope you appreciate that. Because <laughs> we appreciate you appreciating us. Um, so yes, uh, Austin Voth been getting a lot of love today, so it has to be making you very happy. Um, we kind of already liked Kendrick and Thames as DH candidates. We talked about them. We'll talk about them more here when we talk probably first base and whatnot. But uh, it does have to bump them, give them a little more security there. Uh, Mike Leak, he's not going to pitch for the Diamondbacks this year. I wasn't really on Mike Leak a ton. It doesn't stand out as a big thing for me. I guess if you were a believer in Zach Gallon not getting a role, like that pretty much quiets that down. Did you have anything on Mike Leak? Because I really wasn't on him to begin with. No, not really. I mean, he's an interesting guy because of the volume. You know, he goes a lot, but the Ks are super low, so it's hard to start him, and he can get hit hit pretty hard. I think uh, a couple pieces, like obviously Zach Gallon was going to be in the rotation, but it is a pretty packed rotation. So he's definitely in there. And I think Alex Young is another guy that I think should be of interest to fantasy owners. He's a guy I liked a lot earlier on in the offseason before it got really crowded, before the uh, the Mad Bum signing. But uh, Young is interesting because he's got he's like Voth in the sense that he's got a number of pitches that do really well from a swinging strike rate perspective. His fastball's god-awful, though. I think he throws in like the 88 to 89 range. You know, he's a lefty. He's probably not going to go deep into games. But he could be super interesting because he does have a pitch mix that if, um, if, if done right or with some increase in velocity, I think could be really effective as a late round pitcher or even as a bulk innings guy. Like I could definitely see him coming in, you know, after starters go three or four, especially early on and kind of maybe scrapping some wins together. So 
Um, that's really the only piece there, I think. And just going back one tad bit, um, like on the Kendrick thing, I think it's like a double, it's kind of a double whammy for him, in the, but in a good way, like in the sense that um, like Zimmerman's out of the equation. And so there's like another righty bat to match up against lefties. So we know Kendrick's already probably in against lefties. And then Thames was already going to be in against righties, right? Because uh, I think first base. Um, and so, you know, if Kendrick plays every day, and has the opportunity to rest as a DH, he could be incredibly valuable. Like from a batting average perspective, take a check out at his StatCast page. It is phenomenal. So I just wanted to throw that piece in there because it's like kind of two pieces of good news if you have any, um, if you've drafted Kendrick at all before. And I anticipate he's going to leap up there pretty quick too. Oh yeah, no, he's going to he's gonna rise a ton. It'll be interesting to see like his his uh, rise. You mentioned Voth will go up. Um We'll see on this Diamondbacks. You mentioned uh, Alex Young, who's an option. Merrill Kelly's going to maybe get another shot. Merrill. Yeah, Merrill Kelly. There you go. You got um, Dupontier. Everyone wants him to pitch, but right now he's in the bullpen. They have an interesting group to select from for that fifth starters role. But, um, yeah, Alex Young adding another lefty, giving him three lefties would be something else in that division because it's uh, we talked about it before. That West is just full of lefties. So, yeah. Will be quite interesting. Uh, the last one that dropped just a few hours before we were going to record is Ian Desmond is going to be staying at home. He has a pregnant wife and I think four other children, I believe the Instagram post said. So he's at home, going to take care of everything at, at, there. What makes it interesting is, you know, the other day there was news coming out of Colorado that said um, Daniel Murphy likely to get the most work at DH, which means, okay, you can move Ryan McMahon over to first. That's that, that answers one potential question. That's good. And now with Ian Desmond going out, it could answer another question. Does that free up Hilliard? Like um, Fangrass has Hilliard as a uh, platoon in the outfield with Chris Owings, which is an interesting platoon. But you got Hilliard, you got Garrett Hampson, maybe Brendan Rodgers, who I've been wanting to see forever. Then again, it's always the Rockies, so it might be Chris Owings or Ryan Tapia. You never know if they just refuse to keep playing young players. But it's going to be interesting because it just opens up another door for some of these young guys. Like I've been a huge Hilliard fan, power, speed, and a really good batting average. We'll see how that plays out. But um, what are your thoughts on maybe Desmond uh, freeing up time for Colorado? Yeah, it's definitely interesting. And again, I would go and read um, uh, Desmond's Instagram post. Uh, that was really good as well. Um, and it's just, you know, um, yeah, so – in terms of the fantasy aspect, I mean, I think Hilliard, I love him as just a guy you can plug and play at cores. You know, on the road, he's got speed, he's got power. We've talked about him before on the podcast. Never live, though, on <laughs> video. Um, man, that's like a pretty intense, like, finger point right there. <laughs> I felt um, it. Yeah, you felt it. You felt it. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think, I think Hilliard, I love Hilliard. I mean, I think that you know, I think there's a lot of good things. The one challenge with Hilliard, there's a ton of lefties, ton of lefties. We covered this a couple weeks back. There's a ton of lefties in the West. So the Dodgers are going to be throwing out, I think, three or four, four lefties. Mm-hmm. You know, the Giants have two or three lefties as well. So that's just one thing to consider for there. And so, I mean, the, and so with Hilliard, I, I like him, but maybe a little bit less given like the way that things are together. Hampson would obviously be interesting if he got playing time, but I think, I just, I just knowing the Rockies, I don't see them going in one particular direction with solid playing time. Like, I think it's going to be a situation where we're all left kind of, you know, unsatisfied 
with what's going on, regardless of who we have on our team. Like we're just kind of like, uh, maybe I can start him. So that's kind of my thoughts. It's the Rockies way. It would be the typical Rockies way. I was actually having a discussion with uh, different people, Chris Clegg and some others uh, via Twitter before this about the Rockies because we were joking, do they play their youngsters or not? You at least brought the valid point of all the lefties involved. Yasiel Puig, anybody? Just going to throw it out there just, just for fun. Yasiel Puig to the Rockies. It's our dream. Oh, man. Yasiel and Coors would just be my goodness. It would be That's something great. else. So be something to keep an eye on. We'll see how that all plays out. But uh, I mentioned at the top, we're going to start doing, we did full two-hour-plus podcast for each position. <laughs> if you want to listen to those, go back. You'll get do all it. the information. You'll get all the information you need for the positional previews. What we're going to do this week, next, I guess the next two weeks, preferably, we're going to recap like three positions at a time, like real quickly, just maybe changes in philosophy, some players that stand out. And then your listener questions, even this week, answers a lot of things so we don't have to like go super deep. It'll cover what you guys really want to hear. So keep the listener questions coming. It'll help it all out. But we're going to catch your first base, third base tonight. Next week, second base shortstop outfield. Then we'll be pitching the final week. And we'll start with catching Toby. And we know you are Mr. Real Muto. And we'll get into him in a minute because he definitely is a winner here. But on a 60-game season, we were kind of talking about it before the show, is how do you approach catcher? How does it differ maybe or does it differ on a 60-game season? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I don't know. I think the challenge is that just the not knowing, right, is we don't know how everyone is going to handle the catching situations. And I think each one is going to be individual, right? It's going to be unique to that particular team because it's 60 games. And so, like, in some instances, you're like, oh, it's 60 games. So maybe they're not going to be as concerned about wearing down their catchers. So maybe they're going to play them more. So they'll get more plate appearances and the gap will be shrunk between between some of those higher end catchers and some of the guys in maybe the second tier or something like that. Or, you know, people argue that, well, there's a lot of games in a short period of time, although it's not that many games, right? We were talking about this a little before, like 60 and 66 is certainly a lot of games, Mm -hmm. but it's, you know, it's averaging a little bit over six games per week, which isn't necessarily out of the ordinary for them in a regular season. Maybe not having those five, those five game weeks, which is kind of a new thing in baseball. And so um, I think a lot of it depends on how they handle it. What I would say is try to try to stay away from like the 50-50 split guys. I think those are going to be the guys that you want to stay away from. So like thinking about the Braves catcher situation, right, with Tyler Flowers and, um, and D'Arno. Like we knew it was 50-50 ahead of time, but I feel like in a shortened season, that 50-50 is a little, little bit worse because um, you, there's just such a shorter amount of time there's less time for one to get injured and maybe one to get the bulk of that. Um, it just feels like getting 30 games out of a catcher position in this season, that could be that could be pretty ugly. It's all relative, of course. But I kind of stick away from guys like that or like a young Gomes and Kurt Suzuki maybe. Again, Suzuki's the better hitter. But if they're going to be a 50-50 split, you know, that, I think that's really going to take away from Suzuki's value. So I, I think that there's a possibility that Real Muto – well, I'll stop right there. I, what do you What do you think generally about catcher strategy? I could talk for hours. As, as for catchers, I, I'm kind of with you. I want like Real Muto obviously has a big boost, and you get to to explain that to everybody. But I agree, 60 games in 66 days isn't bad. Like with the previous CBA, they only required at least one off day. I think every like 27 or 28 days, there were teams that would barely get an off day each month. So like they were playing seven days a lot. Usually, you'd see three, 
four off days at the most in a month. So it's really might be even a nicer schedule for these guys in, in the grand scheme of things. So I'm with you there. It's a good point because people like to press that one that it's like a it is a sprint in re, in terms of quantity of games for a season, but actually playing the games not so much. So that'll be interesting. And then you look at teams that have so many platoons, like the Braves. We know we're going to platoon. And there's other teams like 65, 35, 70, 30 platoons. And, you know, in a full season, a 70, 30, a 70 is not bad because you, you can wait it out. In a shorter season, that stings. So you mentioned Real Muto, maybe a Jorge Alfaro in Minnesota or in a Miami. Some of those guys you know are locked into, say, 85, 90%, maybe more of the workload is tremendous. I talked about on another show, I, I, I never draft Buster Posey. But on a season like this, you could mm-hmm. see him getting that bat to designated hitter. You could see him playing first base. He's an average asset. Like those, those guys, all of a sudden, he kind of goes up a little bit. And we'll talk about these guys. But I think that's a major thing to look at is we talked about playing time already last week. Catchers is really big because you can lose a lot of at-bats real quick. So saying all that, are there any guys – well, actually, let me stop. Let me go through the top ten that are going – since May 1st on the um, draft champion, second chance draft so far. There's been four drafts, so it's not a ton, but it gives us an idea. You got Real Muto going around pick 55. The next closest is Gary Sanchez at 103. You got Grandal, Garver, Contreras rounding out the top five. Salvi's up to number six. Will Smith, seven. Ramos, eight. Omar Narvaez, nine. And Christian Vasquez, 10. There's obviously more, but you can talk Real Muto now too, but are there any other guys that stand out to you that maybe – are going you, you you like to take it their ADPs or would you like them to kind of fall some more type situation? Yeah, JT Real Muto. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, the thing about Real Muto is is um, Jeff Zimmerman's mining the news article had that he's going to be rotated in as DH, and so we were talking before like it could be a situation where Real Muto goes catches three games in a row and then gets the DH spot. It could be that he doesn't, you know. So it's really hard to know until the season starts, but. It, it's interesting to see his kind of value drop a little bit. I think he's down maybe 10 spots, you know, or, or seven spots from where he was going earlier. Although you know how bad my memory is at that, but leaving him aside, like I think that um, what's interesting to me is Gary Sanchez has fallen like a good amount. Um, and I don't know if that makes sense because the AL East is, is a God awful pitching division outside of the Rays. I mean, if you're on the Yankees and the Rays, then I think that might be a guy who gets a little bit of a bump in the shortened season. Um, another guy getting a, a, a bump that I kind of like in that top 10, um, is Wilson Contreras a little bit. I could also see a situation where Contreras gets maybe a little bit of play at the DH spot for the Cubs. Their, their hitting is not that deep. You know, you're talking Steven Souza in the outfield or in the DH spot. You're talking Alberto Almora. So I could see an instant where, where maybe Contreras picks up a couple of spots in the DH so those are the two guys. Those are a few guys that I think in the top there that might might go up um, a little bit as a result. Yeah, real Muto for sure. Can't argue that. I like the uh, logic there behind Contreras because I was kind of buying into him bouncing back this year as it was. If you can lock in the at-bats, that's great. Other than that, it's kind of business as usual at this position for me. You can make arguments for certain guys here and there like Gary Sanchez maybe – We've seen him hit well in short samples before. Maybe he hits a hot spell. Maybe he crushes your off your average. Maybe he hits one thirty. Yeah, exactly. He could destroy you real quick. So it's tough to say. Like it's one of those deals. These guys are all kind of locked in. So I'm not jumping to any conclusions there. But like, let's go to the next ten for fun here. You got Alfaro. Well, yeah, really got- quick on the guys who 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 go down. 
Yeah. I think Will Smith to me is the biggest guy who's a down because I think the Dodgers are going to split 50, 50 between him and Barnes. And I just think that that's, that's going to be the Dodger way. Like they're going to win that division running away, even though it's a short sample, like they're just so good. They're so much better than everybody else in that division. And, and I can easily see them just going 50, 50 with those two. So Will Smith is the one guy. And I know that answers a, a question that we have later on, but um, he's a guy I think it, for me is a definite guy. I'm less interested in having now than I would be over a full season. No, that, that's a very interesting philosophy. Um, Dave Roberts was on MLB tonight on Monday and they were talking to him. Of course, they didn't bring up any of the pitching questions that started a massive debate this morning about Clayton Kershaw and others. But um, he talked about the, they asked him about the DH. How would he use the DH? To nobody's surprise, he said he's going to use it as like a rotating day off and all like there's not going to be one guy set in stone. So maybe that changes, but everyone that said like Jock Peterson or this, that, he flat out named like eight guys. He said he might even let Corey Seager play there. Kiki Hernandez, he literally went around the diamond and basically could foresee so many guys getting days off and DHing, which I could see a lot of National League teams doing because they're not built for a DH. They don't have a guy just to DH like a lot of American League teams do. So just keep that in mind with the Dodgers in that situation. Mm-hmm. And Will Smith could be the same thing, rest him up and make it work, which would tilt many of us in recent years that thought Austin Barnes was the next big thing and then didn't get to play. Um, the next 10, Jorge Alfaro, Carson Kelly, Sean Murphy, Tom Murphy, Yadi Molina, Francisco Mejia, Buster Posey, Danny Jansen, Travis DeArnaud, and Roberto Perez. Now this starts to get a little interesting. And guys that could be platooning, that could get more playing time, that could maybe bump a little bit. Is there anybody that stands out to you in these next 10? Uh, I like your, I like your Jorge Alfaro shout shout. Um, you know, I think that's obviously a guy who is clearly the number one catcher there. Although Francisco Cervelli isn't, isn't a bad, um, a bad backup. Um, and then I, I love Yadi Molina. I mean, I love him all the time, but I think he's going to get the bulk of plate appearances. You know, he always does. And so it's just a matter of if he can stay healthy because if he's healthy, he produces, you know, like last year, he didn't towards the end of last year, but he kind of made up for it in the second half when he, he came back from injury. So a healthy Yachty over 60 games, he's probably starting like, I don't know, 52, 53 of those games. Like that could be uh, immense. Um, and then, you know, he could also slot. I mean, he's good enough to be a DH. I don't think they probably will do that, but it's always a potential consideration. Yeah, I like the Yachty shout as well because – he is Mr. Consistent, good, uh, decent average for a catcher with the upside elsewhere. So that's definitely something you can uh, peek on to. I mentioned Alfaro. A couple to just watch the mining the news with, with Jeff Zimmerman. That uh, could be very interesting. We've always talked about Francisco Mejia has a very good bat. There's rumors out of some beat reporters in San Diego that they might use him to DH for his right-handed pitching. And that can make things interesting. I, if they don't, I don't want much to do with Mejia in this situation. Because when you look at their roster resource, they still have Austin Hedges, who was a phenomenal defensive catcher. They got that young pitching. They're going to want some stability behind the dish. But if they can DH Mejia, that becomes interesting. I mentioned Posey earlier. That's more like if you're going – you're going to get him late, play your catcher too. But he's going to have that floor where he's going to play almost every day. And he's going to help – he's not going to crush you a ton. Not going to steal bags, obviously. But he can help you a little bit. And then I was going to ask you um, on our boy here, Mr. Danny Jansen. This is an interesting one because a shortened season. We've talked about there's signs of life. We kind of underperformed, obviously underperformed. And other things there, maybe a bounce back coming. Reese McGuire doesn't really scare many people. 
um, when it comes to taking playing time away. Danny Jansen could be one of those later round guys that could be quite the flyer if you think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens like, um, yeah, with Jansen, like because the the AL East is a nice place to hit. I mean, that's kind of the, the spot to hit. Um, do we know what happened with Reese McGuire at all? Um, like, I can. I'll look it up. I know he got busted. He got caught uh, doing in, things you're not supposed to be doing to yourself in, in public. a car in a mall. Yeah, yeah. in a mall. So um, I was going to make a joke when I mentioned him, but I kind of I bit my tongue, tried to keep it you know <laughs> polite. But uh, let me just let's just see the first thing that pops. Not baseball reference. Let's go to news. Yeah, uh, no, no, no. Because, I mean, there. before that, we're looking pretty even split, but maybe with that news, he gets a little bit of a bump. It, it'll it'll definitely be interesting. I like him on a per-plate appearance basis for sure. Yeah, the, like February 13, he was charged, but um, he's expected to appear in court on March 16th. Not sure that happened because that's after everything kind of started shutting down. Mm. So not sh- I, I haven't seen much else since then, so – We'll have to keep an eye on that one. Maybe uh, maybe he can't get into Canada. I don't know. We'll see. It could, could, could change everything. But uh, Danny Jansen could be interesting. I'm not going to go down the, the rest of the list. Is there anything that stands out to you after post-20? Because I know we've always been – or I've always been. I think you're on board with Jason Castro's been a guy that I'm a big fan of. A lot of these other guys are platoon-type bats uh, that in certain situations I liked. Not sure I'm as in love with it in uh, this shortened season. Yeah, I mean, uh, for Castro, my Castro is interesting. I think Angels hitters, I think non Astros and A's hitters are are hurt quite a bit by the schedule. Yeah, um, you know, because number one, um, they go against the Astros and the A's. You know, and the Rangers have a pretty solid rotation. So outside of the Mariners, you know, you're looking at a pretty solid rotation. There's also a lot of lefties. There's nine lefties in the AL West. And then there's more lefties in the NL West. So a guy who's hitting left-handed, I think it could be a little bit of a challenge. I generally like him just as like a, a player, but I think this season may not be the best for him. One guy that I do like um, that's further down is, uh, I mean, um, where is he? He's way down here probably is actually Austin Nola. Um, Austin Nola is a catcher. Yeah, he's a catcher. He's not catcher eligible yet, I don't think. He's first base eligible, but in a Mining the News article uh, from back in the day, I think Jeff Zimmerman mentioned that he was going to alternate with Tom Murphy every other day in, at mm-hmm. the catcher spot. And if that's the case, everybody's going for Murphy. I mean, Nola yeah. was, was really good last year. Um, mm-hmm. And so if he once he gets catcher eligibility, I think he's a guy who could be successful. I mean, Jacob Stallings, if he's the – you know, because it looks like Luke Maley or Molly may end up taking over that job. But Jacob Stallings actually looked pretty good. He was a guy I was targeting late. And uh, the NL Central, the Central in general, isn't a bad place to be. So uh, nobody like who I'm like that interested in, but I could definitely see some guys being, you know, kind of interesting there. Yeah, the NOLA call is pretty good. I had him, I remember getting him for a buck in TGFBI last year. And his multi-position eligibility alone made him interesting. He actually has a little bit of speed for a, uh, a younger guy, like a John Hicks, keep an eye on him. He's first base catcher. He's got some pop for Detroit and he might end up playing more than you think on that team. So keep an eye on, on that situation. And the other guy I'll mention, I know it's going to be weird to see what news we get out of camp. And I loved him for full season. Cause I could play the waiting game if I wanted to might be tougher 
on this shortened deal. But uh, Chance Cisco with the Orioles, he's so much better than Pedro Severino. He's a left-handed bat. Just keep that in mind. He's like so much better than Pedro Severino. But they keep wanting to give Severino his chance because he, he mashes lefties. So uh, he did keep pretty well last game. year too. Don't, yeah. sound, don't sound too short. Yeah, no, against lefties he crushed. They had they had quite the platoon going there. So I was, but Cisco defensively, I was told, unless I read incorrectly, is the better catcher. So I was hoping that was the direction they'd go. Maybe not this season. All right, let's head to first base. Kind of do the same thing at this position. Um, this could be a loaded question because first base A has a lot of multi position options. B. We've talked about time and time again, kind of top-heavy, gets a little murky, and then there's some value late, it feels like. How's your philosophy changing with first base so far? Yeah, I mean, with first base, um, I think it's it's pretty much – it's pretty similar to what we were talking about with the full season. I mean, I think it's pretty shallow. I do think with the NLDH coming in that there's a little bit more depth there, possibly, than there was in the longer season. I do think that NLDH piece is is pretty critical. I think there's some guys that there's quite a few guys for me that kind of move up the list as a result of the shortened season. There's fewer guys that kind of move down. I think there's fewer real clear guys who are getting hurt by this. Um, so I think generally, like maybe it's a little deeper than it was to begin with. But I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I can agree with that. There's some guys that were kind of sketchy on playing time that are going to squeeze in one way or another. I can totally see that. Um, I think uh, there's a guy I'm going to mention here in a minute once we start talking top 10 that I usually have nothing good to say about, but he's probably going to be much more valuable to me on this mm-hmm. go around. But um, it, I, I'm with you. It, it might be more depth involved here because of that DH happening. As we, we've talked about it before. Is it's 15 new positions, but in theory it helps open up other positions as well. So it does. it's like a cascade effect on mm-hmm. situations. So – it really has a, a, a good domino effect or whatever, you, however you want to say it, on the situation. So let's talk top 10 here. You got Cody Bellinger, pretty easy stuff there. Freeman, Pete Alonzo still third. As much as we like big meat Pete the polar bear, not so big of fans of his ADP. Um, Matt Olson, DJ LeMay, he's fifth still. Then you got Anthony Rizzo, Max Muncy, Jose Abreu, Paul Goldschmidt, Josh Bell. Anybody moving up for you in this top 10? Yeah, I mean, one thing about Alonzo, I actually ran, um, I entered the Steamer 60 uh, projections into my standard gains, standard gain point um, spreadsheet that uh, at Smart Fantasy BB has put together. And Alonzo was actually one of the big risers. Um, and I'm not exactly sure why. I think just because of the home run total, even over a shortened season, um, it shouldn't make that much of a difference, but maybe it was that it's probably the AL East, like getting to face the AL East pitching. He actually went pretty close to where he's going at ADP. So, you know, again, I, I'm still not buying him there because of what he provides, but that was something interesting that jumped out to me. I love DJ LeMahieu. Like I, I was getting more and more interested in LeMahieu as the season kind of progressed just because the dual position eligibility, the first, second, third, I think is beautiful being in the AL East is beautiful. The consistency, just the batting average. Um, you know, I know a lot of people are kind of pushing like, don't, don't be in, don't, don't track batting average, but he's very consistent from a batting perspective, batting average perspective. Like over the last three years, you know, his low for a 60 game batting average total was 253, you know, high of 359, 360, 351. His 60 game average is right around uh, is over 300 over the last three years. 
So as we think about that being a category that maybe is a little bit finicky, but also really important in fantasy, um, I think that's one. My my The steamer projections really loved Anthony Rizzo. He jumped up a bunch as a result, probably because of the getting to face the, the central. You know, and there's a lot of right-handed pitchers there in the, um, in the AL central. So that could, that could be possibly explain it a little bit. Um, outside of that, I think within the top 10, those are kind of the guys that jump out at me. I don't think anybody really moves that much. Nobody really changes. Maybe Matt Olson goes down a little bit because he's got to face all those lefties, um, in the NL West, but you know, that might be the only slight downgrade, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. What are you thinking? Yeah, I don't see it being a ton. Um, like I look at the steamer first base projections. It, it's weird with the Alonzo. Like, okay, so he's got 16 homers. He leads projections at, at, in homers, but runs, RBIs. He's got a 252 average. He's got smoking him an average. You know, Matt Olson's two home runs shy, but everything else is pretty darn similar. But you mentioned Rizzo stands out with a big average boost. I know, you know, saying 16 home runs compared to, say, 10 could be a big deal because every little bit counts. So maybe that's why Pete's so great there. But when everything else is the same, you figure you could probably try to get power somewhere else, which makes it interesting. Like you can get Reese Hoskins with 12 homers and the 242 average a lot later. And maybe he runs, has a hot streak and he gets you the homers. So, tons of ways to look at it. So the Rizzo one is interesting. The The Cubs did say today that uh, Chris Bryant's going to be leading off. So get him and his OBP on base more. That could be quite productive for Rizzo and company. Uh, LeMahieu is a, is a bad and average machine. You're 100% correct there. The one I'm going to need to dig into much, much more, which really gets my attention, and it could hurt with all the lefty talk here. I could regret this tremendously, but he's actually hit lefties okay, and that's Max Muncy. That uh, position eligibility could be tremendous this year in this goofy, goofy season we're going to have. So I'll, I'll have to look into that some, some more and see if they do play him a lot versus lefties or if they kind of uh, mess around. But last year they actually played him, so – We'll see how that plays out. Uh, otherwise, yeah, shouldn't be too many changes. There's always going to be somebody that loves Pete, so he's going to go early. Olsen's going to go right behind him, and then it gets kind of hit and miss. You know, you got a Brayu, Goldie, and company to, to mix and match from. Uh, any fallers for you in the top ten? Yeah, said, just, you said Matt Olsen. Just yeah. Matt Olsen a little bit, not that much. Um, but I think everybody else is pretty good. I mean, Goldie keeps on slipping, which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, down, I mean, again, it's only four drafts, but he had a min pick of 74, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's, that's pretty interesting to me. Um, yeah, but, but really only Olsen just because of all the lefties, you know, in that, um, in that division, that's one thing I, I, I say to people as we think about like the matchups and like how impactful schedule can be is that like, is not to necessarily focus on the like, macro of that of that like oh like this team has um you know like uh um you know maybe a war of this like i know i'm kind of like going against what we talked about the rotation or like a woba against of this expected woba against or whatever it is because like really i think this season is going to be about playing the matchups and so you've got to look at how each individual player lines up in that division as best as we can. And obviously things will change dramatically, but when you know that like Matt Olson is going to, is going to go up against the Dodgers for four games or four games, right? Uh, Yeah. 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 They haven't finalized it, but it should be four games. Yes. And three of those four games are likely to be lefties. And then he's going to go up against potentially the giants and, you know, and it just kind of adds up a little bit there. 
Um, so I, yeah, that's, that's one thing that I just kind of add is, is make sure you're looking how each player kind of is impacted by the schedule as opposed to team to team, if you will, if that makes sense. That's kind of one thing that I've thought about recently. Um, but yeah, I really wish they'd come out with a schedule. Like we know a rough idea of what it's going to be. So we can definitely make our assumptions like you're saying, but they're just, they're, they're hesitant to, to release it just yet based on other circumstances. So totally. we'll see how that works. But uh, I, I can see the, the Olsen argument for sure. I'm just curious to see how some of these others go. Cause Goldie Fallen is, is quite interesting. I, I can definitely yeah. keep looking at that some more. Um, when we go to 11 through 20, you got Grundall, Reese Hoskins, who I mentioned earlier, who's a big fan of going to a full season. We'll see on this one. We've seen him have hot streaks before. Uh, Carlos Santana, Danny Santana, Yuli Gurriel, Edwin Encarnacion, Christian Walker, Luke Voigt, CJ Cron, and Jack Peterson, who, like I said, people swear he's going to be the DH for the Dodgers. I'm not so sure about that. But uh, 11 through 20, who stands out to you as some potential risers? Yeah, I mean, I think my biggest riser of all the first basemen is probably Carlos Santana. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about it, switch hitter, he's going to be in there all the time. Really great top of the lineup. You know, showed some changes last year, you know, lowering the fly ball rate a little bit. Again, not great for power, but from a batting average perspective, very consistent profile, walks a ton, you know, makes a lot of contact, doesn't strike out a bunch. Um, and then he's going to have, he's going to, he's, he's the, like the Indians hitters have the best situation, right? Because yep. you're going to have the Twins, which have a solid but not spectacular, you know, um, lineup or, or pitching staff. Then you have all those lefties on the Tigers, right, that, that, that the switch hitting can help out with. You have the Royals. You have the White Sox. You got Giolito. But everything after Giolito is, like, still a little bit iffy with the White Sox. And so – and then you go over to the, the NL Central, and there's a lot of lefties there as well, right, with the Cubs. And, um, and so I just think that um, – yeah, I just think that I think he lines up to me to be the guy who's going to get the biggest bounce out of all of this. Um, the other guy I like is um, Christian Walker. You know, I think Christian Walker with the DH getting moved in, that's maybe a few more games that he's going to play potentially. Um, you know, and, and, and with his profile and the potential speed additions at first base there, because he's got a little bit of speed, that could be beneficial um, and he was all around solid contributor, but I think the market has already kind of moved on these guys. Like you can see where Santana has moved up already. And so has Walker and then CJ Crone, your boy is going to be like, continues to go up. It's unreal. Like he is just going up. Mm-hmm. He's riding yeah, he, the wave. I can't even remember. He used to be like 250 or below. It felt like at one point. And he yeah, just keeps, he was, keeps coming, sure. keeps coming. Him and Christian Walker, they were both back there. Uh, I like the Walker, especially with all the lefty talk we've talked about in that division. That's going to mm. keep him in the lineup a ton. Uh, maybe him and Kevin Cron together is like the new Bash brothers in Arizona. That could be a lot of fun. Uh, I love Cardo Santana. That's the one that stood out to me. He, he's when, when we look at – when we talk about building teams, I know these, you and I have talked about it. Some people disagree. They think you want to take chances and do all these things, and, hey, that might work. I don't know. But when you want like the stability guy so you can take a chance later in a draft – Carlos Santana is almost as stable as they come. And you mentioned the matchups he has. Um, look at the projections. He's he's producing like an Abreu, like a Bell, uh, Muncie, close to a Goldie. He's like a little lower on average, but everything else is pretty much the same with a lot of these first basemen that you can get later. And you mentioned the matchups he has are tremendous. I love it. The switch hitting is going to be great asset there that doesn't get talked about enough with Carlos Santana. 
And and the, the, the Indians are kind of frustrating at times, but the top of that Indians order is still very, very good. They're going to put up runs at the top of that order, especially against the bad pitching you mentioned. So I, I'm with you on Carlos Santana. I think that's a, a very, very strong play, and he keeps going up. Like you said, I'm wondering if he's going to end up passing Reese someday. That could be interesting. But Santana, I like the Walker call. Um, obviously, Crone's my boy. Like that's going to be a – eventually he's going to get priced out for me, which is going to be scary. It's going to be very, <laughs> very scary because people just keep just grabbing him and grabbing him. It's going to be very tough to work at. But other than that, like I guess Reese Hoskins, but it's hard to take Reese when I can take Carlos right behind him. Like I, I really think Reese is in for a good year. I just don't know if he's in for a good sixty game year. That's the scary part. So because he's so volatile on how he can slump or go hot. Uh, just yeah. depend with if, if you're an aggressive, if you're if you're drafting aggressive for upside, I take Reese Hoskins over Carlos Santana all day long. If if, if you want to do that, because we've seen Reese come into the bigs and hit like twenty plus homers in a like a forty five to sixty game span. So if you're if you want the risk, go for it. Otherwise, go for your Carlos Santana. Yeah, and one thing just because I'm wearing the Phillies, the Phillies hat um, on Reese is is I think his uh, the matchup against the AL East is perfect for him. Yes. Absolutely perfect for him. I mean, ton of lefties, uh, god awful pitching for the most part. I think that yeah. that's one one like kind of check in his direction on the schedule front. I, I know it was tweeted by the Orioles, and I kind of retweeted it, and others did too. Did you see how horrible that pitching is, and how many bad lefties there are? Like oh, my yeah. goodness, like oh. the Yankees, the Reeses, uh, the baby Blue Jays, like the Orioles. They might win 10 games. No, I'm kidding. They'll win more than that. But, like, the pitching's that bad. It's atrocious. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, it's not. It's not going to be pretty. No. Sure. I, Alex Fast, we love you. But uh, 2021, it's okay. It's really okay. <laughs> um, after, after the top 20, it's obvious, like you said, it's deeper. There's actually, like, we could do the next 10 if you want. But, like, let's just – are there are there guys that you that are standing out to you that you'll be looking to target? Because there's – Definitely more that I'm I'm in with than I was on uh, beforehand. Yeah, I mean, um, going back to the the last ten, the, the guy who I think gets hurt in my opinion um, is Danny Santana. I know that Jeff Zimmerman just had um, he just had a mining the news where it looked like the center field job was his, and so playing time is definitely there. I just think that the the pitching matchups are going to be are going to be tough. Um, uh, that that the AL West is facing, like if you know, again, you get the the Astros and their staff. You know, you get the A's and their staff. You get games in both those stadiums, which are some of the most pitcher friendly as well. Then you go over to the NL West, and you have to go against the Dodgers. You know, not super friendly parks as well. So that's one guy. Um, outside of that, so I would say um, guys that I like that have kind of gone up. Howie Kendrick, obviously, we talked about him. He's got dual position eligibility as well. I think Renato Nunez, um, again, like in the shortened season, the Orioles with some of their moves, again, like they can still add guys to the 60-man. But with some of their moves, it looks like they may be pressing pause on having any of their top prospects come up, like Ryan Mountcastle. It's, right? It makes me so angry. So yeah, angry. So- so they may just wait till 2021 on that. So Nunez has all these at bats against terrible lefties, you know, in the in the in the AL uh, East, um, and so that's something as well. Uh, I think that um, uh, Justin Smoke is somebody um, who, again, with the DH, with the lefty, you know, he's going to be the lefty DH or the lefty first baseman. He can still hit. The guy can still hit. It's a great stadium. It's made for him. So I think in deeper leagues, he's a guy who I think is worth a shot. 
Um, and then I think I already mentioned Austin Nola. That's more for, for a catcher. And then a guy who I think is going to get hurt, who's going later on and not to like, I hope our friend Sammy Reed isn't paying attention to this and not to like whatever the expression is about like, uh, you know, inflicting more pain on something that's already painful, but Eric Hosmer, you know, a lefty in a super lefty heavy division with good pitching and then going over to the AL West with the good pitching and bad ballparks, just not necessarily, I think, the best scenario for him. And I think both of those divisions also have quite a few lefties. Yeah, there's nine, there's nine in the AL West, and then there's 10 in the NL West. So 19 of the of the 50 starting pitchers in those two divisions. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's 50. I don't even know. Yeah. 50, 50 are lefties, you know, and Hosmer has a pretty big split career wise, lefty righty. So just something to think about. Yeah, no, it's uh, I, I liked Hosmer coming to the year as a late round corner infield target, have some fun with it, see where it takes you. But uh, I could see it being a little bit trickier these days. A couple guys that uh, stand out. I, I do like the um, Renato Nunez. That's a nice late power source guy. A big, big pop there. I think Evan White's interesting, a righty in that lefty-heavy AL West and potential NL West situation. Good hit tool, keeps developing power each step through the minors. A lot of prospect guys really, really like his approach to the plate. So I don't know if a shortened season is the best way for him to find it, but he's going to get the at-bats. So he could be an interesting target there. Obviously, Howie Kendrick is a tremendous. I like the smoke call. Uh, Garrett Cooper, I've talked about him before. He's one of the head DH options for Miami. He's basically free in drafts, so he could be a lot of fun as well. Um, there'll be a few. The last one I'll mention is if Kevin Cron does get the uh, DH role with Arizona, he's going to split it with Jake Lamb, so it makes it a little tough to play him every day in, in weekly leagues. But, A, with all the lefties out there, like in FEC, you can play him one week, first half, second half. It could line up possibly. Or daily leagues, I think Kevin Cron's tremendous because that guy literally can hit home runs at ease. He can hit a – four in a week if he gets going. Give him the at-bats. So, Cron, uh, I'm a big, big fan of his. Just look at his stat cast page. It's all or nothing. He either gets out usually by strikeout or he puts one, like, over the wall. Like, it's crazy what he does. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot to like at the first base position. It is a lot deeper. I think it's a good place to find late power for sure. Absolutely. All right. Last but not least, we go to the hot corner across the diamond to wrap up our corner infield approach. Third base, it's a position we talked about before that feels like, you know, there's a good 10 to 12 or so, maybe a little deeper, maybe it goes even to like the 20s at times of viable third base targets, and then it just kind of goes poof. Um, what are you seeing looking at your early analysis on a 60-game season? Yeah, I think it's still um, it's still similar to that. Um yeah, I mean, I think there's some really intriguing guys going late. Um, I think some real, like, kind of boomer bust guys, you know, your Scott Kingrys, your Ryan McMahons, those type of guys. But there definitely is some depth. I mean, what I've done, what I've done in a lot of drafts is, um, you know, I've, I've kind of gotten, like, Yuli Gurriel a few spots, um, Jeff McNeil a few spots, LeMayhew a few spots. Uh, one, um, Kingery quite a bit as well. 
Brian Anderson remains one of my favorite guys. So I think there's like, there's some, there's definitely some value there. I think there's definitely some value to be had, but um, yeah. And so I think, I think it's kind of an adaptable position. It's one where I don't necessarily feel compelled to move it forward early, but I think there's kind of some decent options as you go throughout the draft. I just think taking it beyond, you know, Brian Anderson would probably be the last guy that I would be comfortable with, you know, as my third baseman. Not that I think about it that way because it's like, you know, if your third base is your weakest position, then it's a little bit different. But like, that's kind of like for me, like a lot of the value kind of ends right there, I think. Or maybe, mm, yeah, Brian well, Anderson, Sterling Castro, even Kyle Seeger, actually. I don't know. It's it, There's some decent guys to like there. Sorry. No, there's some interesting options. We'll talk about, there's a couple other I'll ask you about towards the even past seeker that could have some interesting um, impact. The top of the third baseman's I'm like, they're awesome. It's, it's Mm -hmm. almost like it's kind of turned into the shortstop part two. It's not nearly as deep as shortstop, obviously, but there's a good run here of top end third baseman's that are going really, really early. And then it kind of peters off for a little bit. And there's there's good guys that kind of get sporadically spaced out. Um, like Jose Ramirez gets boosted even more for me yeah. um, this year. He's moved. He's shot up too. He's past Bregman, which is amazing. I got, that makes me so giddy when I saw that. Um, we, we've already talked about we liked him so much. So I think that's big. And before I go into the other guys that I like up here, let's just go through the top ten. I got Jose Ramirez, Alex Bregman, Nolan Arenado, Devers, Rendon, Moncada, Machado has jumped up quite a bit. Uh, your favorite, Vlad Guerrero Jr., uh, Chris Bryant, and DJ LeMayhew. This There's a lot of really good players, <laughs> like a lot of good players here. So um, which guys rose, which guys fell for you? Yeah, I mean, the guys, the guys who have fallen, um, Anthony Rendon is one. Again, I just don't love AL West hitters who aren't on the, the Astros or the A's. I just think it's a tough setup. He's going to a new team. He has a shortened season. Not that he like really shows under pressure. I mean, he was incredible under under pressure last year, but it's just like new season pressure to compete right off the bat, really tough pitching matchups, generally a worse stadium for hitting. I just think there's a lot of things that kind of stack up poorly for Rendon. So he's one guy. And then also Machado is another guy. I think who, um, who gets, who falls back a little bit for me, just again, you know, in the NL West, um, you know, I, the Dodgers that going up against the AL West, I don't just, I just don't love the, the NL West schedule that much, um, you know, for non-Dodgers teams. So that's kind of, that's, that's, I think, and I, he's not hurt a ton by it, but again, I haven't been a fan to begin with. So maybe it's a little bit of bias creeping in there. Yeah, no, I, I don't blame you at all. Machado has been a guy I have not been a fan of. So I have not found it to be someone that I – he's going up, and I've heard a lot of Machado talk, and I just – I can't get behind it. Um, the other faller for me is – and Chris Bryant, I just can't do it. There's guys behind Chris Bryant I, I go to in a heartbeat. I just be jumping to, to other guys. Uh, what were some of the risers for you besides Jose Ramirez? Uh, risers, I mean, Jose Ramirez um, for sure. Yohan Mankata obviously like benefits from just having the, the crappy schedule uh, generally. Although, you know, like for the White Sox guys, I mean, again, the twins aren't awful, you know, they're solid enough. And then, you know, you add in that they have to go against the Indians and 
Um, so it's not that big of a boost, I think, for the White Sox hitters. But other than that, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Vlad. I still would never draft him where he's going right now. But the AL East is obviously the being in the East, I think, is a, is a benefit to him um, there. But outside of that, you know, uh, there's nobody that's really uh, risen a ton. And LeMahieu, but we, we talked about him already. So, yeah, Jose Ramirez for me, Moncada, always been a, a big fan of that. And that division could just be filthy for two thirds of your season. But Rafael Devers is interesting to me. Um, he might run a little bit more, not a ton, but if you look at, if you believe in projections, which they're just projections and they're wonky for certain things, because we're all kind of trying to figure this out. But if you look at the steamer projections, I tweeted out the other night, like the top guys at every offensive category in a five by five roto and Devers name pops up quite a bit in the top five or six in most of those categories. It, it was very telling to me that uh, we knew he had good average. We knew he's got power, but he shows up a little bit of everywhere, minus the stolen bases in a, in a big effect. But um, it, it was quite the standout to me that made me kind of second look at it and go, okay, if you go here in the first and then maybe you can come back with Devers in the second, is that the worst thing to do? Because I really wasn't focused on Devers a ton because I usually go for J-Ram. But, you know, Seamer's gone for 300, 12 homers, 38 and 38, and even three steals, which is not nothing on a season like this. So it's interesting. He's somebody I definitely look into some more. When we talk outfield slash DH, J.D. Martinez shows up on all of those, but stolen bases. He is as good as it comes, basically, in those scenarios. But Devers was right there with him. So it was a very interesting look in that scenario. Yeah, Devers definitely jumped up on my um, my spreadsheet of values. He's the 15th ranked hitter uh, or player overall. Um, number two, third baseman in the ones that I have. So, yeah, I, you know, you said number two, I would literally, I would take him over Bregman, I think. And I would really heavily debate over Arenado. I know it might sound crazy to some, but I would debate that. That's an, an interesting conversation there. Um, 11 through 20, we got Eugenio Suarez, who is healthy now. Uh, Max Muncy, Jeff McNeil, who's been a fun to conversation as a potential 400 hitter these days. Uh, Matt Chapman, Mike Moustakis, Josh Donaldson, Miguel Sano, Tommy Edmond, Eduardo Escobar, and Scott Kingery. So you get a, there's different uh, skill sets in this range. Who are some risers? Who are some fallers? Yeah, I mean, uh, Josh Donaldson, I think, is a huge riser here. I mean, I have him as the 54th best player overall in my spreadsheet based on his Steamer 60. Now, again, like this is a, an initial run. I normally use ATC uh, projections, but or else like a combination of a number of different projection systems. So very much subject to change. But he rose about 35 spots, you know, from where he was previously, given the schedule. I mean, the schedule is just gold for him. He could just absolutely uh, crush. So uh, Donaldson definitely. And I mean, going as like the 16th third baseman. That's crazy. Crazy talk. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, I think Mike Moustakas also benefits. Um, obviously, like, you know, he's going to be um, hitting in Cincinnati, which is a benefit to begin with. But then having the central be where he's going up against, I think that'll be a real benefit to him. Add in the DH where he can go occasionally, you know, just to get a little bit of time off. I think that's a little bit of a boon for him. A guy that I absolutely, well, that I'm starting to really love, starting to really love Tommy Edmond. I think he's a huge benefit of the DH. I think he gets moved around everywhere, multi-position eligibility. 
the stolen bases. Like a lot of times, like, like I've really been into really into Tim Anderson early on. Part of me now is like, well, you know, I can wait and get Ahmed Rosario. I can wait and get Tommy Edmond, mm-hmm. you know, kind of similar profile, similar stolen bases going later, more position flexibility. You're not using your shortstop, you know, all, you know, your short shortstop up already. So I just think that there's a lot of like, like he's a guy that I is really moving up um, my board. I think uh, Tommy Edmond, um, you know, Guriel's not moving up or down, but I just think he's, he's great value where he's going right now. Um, JD Davis potentially, you know, but uh, Castro gets another place to bet hit in the lineup. Um, oh, I guess that's that's further on from where we are. <laughs> I'm gonna stop. Yeah, no. Um, I like the Mustakas called Josh Donaldson for sure. So no, big fan of that. Just matters where does he hit in the lineup? I guess it really doesn't in the grand scheme because the Twins should just hit a ton every game in, in theory. At the same time, if he's hitting towards the bottom of the order, it's really gonna Zap him like they still haven't projected hit eighth behind Luis Arias right in front of Buxton. That's an interesting lineup there. It's loaded. You can't argue a lot of it really. It's just kind of stands out in a weird way. At least move him up to like six or something. But I guess we'll see how that plays out because I still like the power for snow. Is there's, there's no hiding that. Obviously, I'd rather Josh Donaldson. Uh, the Edmund thing's interesting because I started buying into him towards the end of draft season before everything kind of hit the fan. And I, I like the multi position part. I like the, the power, a little bit of power. He's got some speed, some good average. What I want to ask you is you can get Edmund at 121 or let me scroll. and Oh, no, he's a different position. Let me go to his position and find him real quick. You can get Edmund or you can get his teammate Colton Wong about 70 picks later and Colton Wong's expected to lead off. Who would you rather have? Easy Edmund for me. Not a big Wong, Not a big Colton Wong fan. Um, I think last year was the best, the best best we're going to get. Yeah. I mean, just looking at his career, everything stands out from last year, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of ups and downs, even with the batting average, like you'd expect it to be pretty consistent, but I just don't think the hit tool is good enough, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, five home runs, six stolen bases, two sixty-seven. He's he's never hit higher than two eighty-five. No, no, it was definitely a, like a standout season. Yeah, there's no no doubt about that. Yeah, so uh, I go I go Edmund, even even from a value perspective, I think they're close enough. Okay, uh, a lot of people are still high on Jeff McNeil. He's going to pick ninety-one, obviously multi-position. But I talked about it, and others have. But some people still love him, no matter what. Is when the power showed up, he basically substituted power for batting average. So there's people arguing that um, you know McNeil's going to be a 400 candidate. But then I said, does that mean he sacrifices his power? Are you are you a you know a fan of Jeff McNeil, especially at pick 91, or would you rather go elsewhere? Yeah, I am a fan of his. Um, I think the I think the hit tool is really good. The projections really like um, the hit tool. I mean, I, you know, the power, maybe we see it again, maybe we don't, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's uh, terrible, you know? So like, I think it's like 20 home run power in a full season. And so, you know, you couple that with a little bit of speed and I think the batting average, I think the hit tool is great. I think the multi-positional eligibility is nice. 
So, okay. you know, I, in a couple places I got like LeMahieu and McNeil, um, which is nice. But, you know, with my start, like I'm, I'm normally really shallow on speed. So, but it could be interesting to go like LeMahieu, McNeil there. And then you're coming around the next end, you go like Edmund, Rosario or something like that. That could be an interesting little, little, little combination there. But um, yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a fan, but I'm not like overwhelmingly a fan in a shorter season, I think. Okay. Uh, post 20, you mentioned a couple of guys already. Uh, Starling Castro. Sorry I'm about that. No, you're fine. Starling Castro, I'm hundred percent on board with. That's a guy who keeps climbing ADPs. So that, uh, that sucks in that regard. But uh, who are some other guys post 20 that uh, you were talking about? Post 20. I mean, you Gurriel, I think he's great value there. Um, let's see. What do I have him as a, I have him as a, the 84th best player based on my valuations and he's going to pick 145 ish. You know, so a ton of value there. I mean, I, I don't think that the power we saw uh, last year will be duplicated, but he's always had a good batting average, and I think he started hitting the ball in the air more. So the power shouldn't necessarily hurt you, um, and he makes a ton of contact. Um, I like um, – let's see. I mean, Justin Turner, obviously. Uh, Scott Kingery is super interesting, but he's moving way up, you know, ADP of like 137 in these drafts. Brian Anderson, I love. Um, and then uh, I like Kyle Seeger a lot as well. But I, one guy I really like, and the tough thing, you know, is, is we always love, and this is the thing that I always find in drafts, right, is we love all these players around this part of the draft, but you can only choose a couple of them. So who are you going to choose, right? John Birdie. I was, I, I was going to say it earlier when you said Kyle Seeger. You didn't say John Birdie. I was gonna, how are you disrespecting your boy? How dare you? <laughs> uh, I think John Birdie could be incredibly valuable mm-hmm. with the stolen bases, with all the games against the Mets, all again, all the games against the NLE's competition, which is awful, with the NLDH, with the positional flexibility. You know, he could be really hard to pass up right here because if you get him in your team, he's that Swiss Army knife. He's shortstop. He's third base. He's outfield. He's middle infielder. He's corner infielder. He's utility, you know, and it's hard to know that he's going to play all of the games, you know, to miss the plate appearances. But damn, just for the Mets, just for the games against the Mets. I mean, and really the games against anybody but the Phillies, like the Braves have a terrible catching staff and pitchers. And when it comes to stolen bases, the Nats do as well. So I don't know. I just think that he could be really good, so he's hard to pass up. And then, yeah, I mentioned Kyle Seeger. I, I like him. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of where my interest goes. Like a deep, deep pick is um, is Brad Miller. He's on the Cardinals with the DH being added in there. He really hit well last year with the Phillies. Um, so he could be a little bit of a surprise if the if the cards if the cards literally yeah, fall right there. Yeah. Um, are you a buyer? Are you a believer in the chatter of a Matt Carpenter DH bounce back? No, I don't think yeah. so. I've, I've been kind of I, I, I've been surprised yeah. at how adamant some people are on that. He's just old. Yep. He's old, and I think there's a really small window of success which he managed to really grasp hold of in 2018. But he just there's too much up and down with the launch angles and too many fly balls too high. So, yeah, they got him projected to hit second in DH for that Cardinals team. So 
going to be an interesting one. See how it plays out on someone else's roster. That's for sure. A um, couple guys for me, Hunter Dozier, I'll buy back in. It seems like his value keeps going down, like his price tag is going down, so the value keeps rising, in my opinion. I could buy into Dozier. He said he wanted to run more. He was running more in spring before it mm. stopped, so that could be interesting to, to keep in mind. He's fallen to like 190. He might get down to 200, something to keep in mind there. I love Castro. We talked about him. Big starting Castro fan. I agree Kyle Seager is interesting. We've, we've mentioned him a few times, a guy to keep an eye on. Um Watch what the Nationals do. We mentioned Kendrick and Thames. It could also, with no Zimmerman in the DH, could open the door for some more as Drew Cabrera action, who's a switch hitter for the for the Nats. He could be slightly interesting. And then we'll talk about one more guy in a listener question. So I'll leave that one out for now. But uh, a guy that I have in a lot of places because uh, he's basically free and he's a heck of a batting average guy and he mashes left-handed pitching. So we will talk about him in the listener questions pretty soon. But Anything else you want to add for catcher, first base, third base before we get to those listener questions? I don't think so. I mean, there's not – I don't think there's any, like, anything earth-shattering. Some guys are moving up a little bit. Some guys are moving down a little bit. But generally speaking, we're looking at a lot of the same stuff that we looked at earlier in the season. Yeah, most of the, like, earth-shattering stuff is going to come when guys opt out of playing. Like, when Ian Desmond opted out, all of a sudden, okay, it opens that door. When uh, Zimmerman and, and Ross, and it opens those doors. I think that's going to be more the uh, the situations we see coming forward. All right, listener questions. Oh, and we're going to kick it off with the guy I was talking about. AOK underscore Tigers underscore fan asks, question for your next pod, do you roster Hanser Alberto? He's always available late in drafts. I picked him up on waiver wires and Dynasty last fall. Lots of hits. Where's the love? Uh, Mr. Tigers fan, I roster him in a lot of places because second base, third base eligible, hits towards the top of the Orioles lineup. As bad as they are pitching-wise, they have a weird young offense that somehow puts up a few, like a handful of good games a week, and he destroys lefties, destroys them. So I love him. as It's hard to find late batting average assets with upside in other categories. For me, Alberto gives you that. Do you uh, am I am I crazy talking here? Or do you have any interest in Alberto? Um, I don't. I don't necessarily have interest in Alberto. Probably just because I think like the window in which I use him is kind of what you mentioned, right? Like he's at the top of the lineup. He mash. He doesn't mean mash. He, he gets he gets a ton of hits against lefties, you know. And so maybe I'm starting him in those particular positions. But for me, that's more a fab ap- acquisition, you know, that I make you know, um, once or twice a season, snag him for three to four games and then and then drop him and let him go. So I don't think I'm probably drafting him. I don't know if there's enough upside for that, but there's certainly value in deeper leagues, um, I think, for him for the reasons you mentioned. For sure. Uh, Billy B from Canada always has a good question or two for us every show. Kind of answered this, it already. Yeah, so we hit this earlier in the catchers, but we'll recap it real briefly. Well, we we didn't hit this technically. Yeah. Well, well, Will Smith was Will Smith the catcher from the Dodgers mini breakout for real? Okay. What what you said and I kind of agreed with is he might not play enough, so he's not worth really drafting his price this year. But was his breakout for real? Yeah, I think he's got a, a lot of like we talked about this. I think in the catcher pod uh, episode, yeah. I think he's got a lot of what you want. I mean, he's got great plate discipline. He makes solid. He makes good. He makes a lot of contact, especially for a catcher. You know, like he's not going to have a really high strikeout rate. Um, He can hit the ball really hard uh, and he hits the ball in the air a lot. So he's got a lot of the boxes that you want checked. So I do think he's going to be a very good catcher fantasy wise um, for years to come. Um, I do not 
think this year will be the year to get him just because I do think that just knowing the Dodgers, knowing how they probably want to play it with him, you know, Austin Barnes being the veteran, I think it's likely we see a 50-50 split there. Again, I haven't read anything to say that. It's just, you know, intuition and thinking about that situation a little bit more. No, and it makes a ton of sense because the Dodgers, they're going to Dodger. So that's what they do. Um, that's for sure. And we all hate the Dodgers. So. Yes, we all do. It's a common theme, a united front on this podcast. Yes, for sure. Um, Dave Petrosiello at dpeter12676. Good old Dave. Now, we kind of hit on it. We can recap real quickly the guys we were talking about. Uh, can any catcher be worth a bit more than we originally thought because they'll play a higher percentage of games in a shortened season? He says, cough, Carson, Kelly. I know we talked about a few guys, you know, JT Romuto, Wilson Contreras, uh, Jorge Alfaro, a few others. What were some of the guys that I mentioned a few? Were there other guys that might stand out with playing time-wise? Um, yeah, I mean, I think those are most of the guys. I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, Contreras. Yachty, Kelly, Yachty, I guess. Yeah, Yachty. I'm not a Carson Kelly fan. I'm sorry, Dave. Um, I just don't know if he's got it. I think he started out pretty hot, and then he really fell off there. And I also think that that Arizona, like – with the addition of the DH, maybe the the defense that is is Mathis the backup there? Who is the backup? Steven Vote. Is it is the vote the backup for catcher yes. though? Yeah, catcher, catcher, and then Dalton Varsho, their stud prospects oh, okay. in camp with them. So yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's it's definitely it's certainly possible, but I'm not that much of a fan. Um, you know, I think vote is is actually kind of interesting as a catcher if he's going to get like two out of three starts or something like that as a guy you could maybe stream in or get in deeper like draft champions league type things. But I think we covered all the ones that are set to great value. I just think that there's so many questions about how each team is going to handle that catcher situation that we just don't know yet. And I think that's where like, you know, Jeff's mining the news and those types of like really staying on top of how each team is going to handle this scenario. Because it's like you saw with Alex Anthopoulos saying the Braves are in a position where guys for the first round, first times through are probably not going to throw five innings. But then, you know, Shelton on the Pirates was like, our guys are already up, you know, throwing enough pitches. So I think it's really going to depend on how they've been handling, handling guys and how, you know, how they're, how they're looking at the future, right, too. I mean, Real Muto is a free agent after this year, I think. So for him, it's just kind of a question of like maybe the Phillies are just gonna go all out. Of course, I'm looking. For, I'm, I'm com- confirmation biased to that work here. You know, um, I just want to. I just want to make sure that he's the best player of all time. <laughs> all right, Ben Tid at breaking Ben underscore T. He says since he's eligible at third base in Yahoo, we'd like to know what we think of JD Davis. Will Will he still play a majority of the time despite the suspicious Lowry news? Thanks, guys. I've been um, – I love J.D. Davis's hit tool. Can't deny that at all. I've been very suspect of playing times. I think he's still in line to platoon with Dom Smith in the outfield. Suspettis is going to DH. Until I see more news, it's tough for me to buy all in on Davis because I want to see him hit every day. I just don't know what the Mets are going to do. What's your thoughts on Davis with the Mets? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I think there's a lot of really nice skills there. At the same time, I do think that because of the defensive liability, as you mentioned, you know, I just think that there's questions around playing time and where he's going. You know, I don't know if he's he's I don't know if peak him is is as is better enough 
than some of the guys going around him to justify that. You know, it's kind of like, you know, Hunter Dozier is a guy I didn't talk about, but, you know, he's pretty good and he's going to play every single day. Uh, Brian Anderson going to play every single day. Pretty good player. Starling Castro. So I do think it's just a, it's a value proposition for me. And yeah, he provides some batting average, but no, not a lot of speed. So there isn't necessarily anything that jumps out and he hasn't done it consistently. He did it last year. So um, for me, I, I'd say I'm not that interested, but who knows? Yeah, it's tough. Um, you mentioned like Dozier, a big fan. I'd rather Dozier over J.D. Davis for sure right now. So very tough stuff there. Uh, Dave Swan at the Vithius asks, capitalizing on every category will be crucial for Roto. These Those positions aren't traditionally great for speed, the ones we're covering tonight. Who would be guys that could chip in a few stolen bases in a 60-game season? Uh, so pretty loaded question because we went over three positions. But um, let's just do it real quick. Are there any catchers that you're targeting for stolen bases? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> JT Ramito. Oh, okay. Okay. Let's go to first base. Um, you know, Bellinger is, is, a, is an option to get you a few steals, but there's not a lot of guys that really stand out to me unless you're going super late at first base. Is there anybody else that you uh, look uh, for steals? Danny Santana and Christian Walker okay. would be two guys who could steal a little bit. I know that Evan White is pretty athletic and pretty fast yeah. too. So um, that could be a possibility, but nothing's really jumping out at me there. Yeah, for tonight's show, I think third base is where you want to go. I know we'll both agree on J-Ram. That's pretty much in the bag. Uh, I think we both agree Moncada has a a little bit of speed up his sleeve. We've talked about him before. After that, McNeil. Yeah, Edmund, your boy. That's very Kingry. I love Kingry. Yes, Kingry is a good one. You know, McNeil used to run a lot. He hasn't run the last few years. I don't know because he's always been battling hamstring injuries. So that's something to keep an eye on. Maybe he's healthy. Maybe he runs. Don't know. But, uh, yeah, you mentioned Kingery, Edmund, Moncada, J-Ram, your boy Birdie. Um, as I keep scrolling down, those are the main ones that really stand out at the third base. Do you see anybody else? Because I really don't see too much else at that position. No. A lot of power. Not, a lot of, not power. a lot of speed. And it, yeah. it's a great question, though, because it really does give you a big advantage as you construct your roster when you're able to add that speed from those positions. Because we talked about this a lot, like in previous podcasts, but it's like, you know, really the only positions that provide speed uh, this year are second base, shortstop, middle infielder, outfielder, right? So that gives you five, six, seven, eight, eight positions to get the bulk of your speed from out of 14. And you're looking at needing like 123 stolen bases in a full season, you know, for like 80th percentile in NFBC. And so that's a lot of stolen bases per guy, right? That's like 15 stolen bases per guy there. So the more you add from other positions, it really increases the flexibility you have um, to, to make, you know, with your roster and who you, who you roster afterwards. Yeah, for sure. That's why I've been kind of preaching balanced accumulators. It's been fun discussions on Twitter to actually have baseball to talk about again, because yeah. so many different philosophies on this. It, it's, it's really fun to kind of break it down. It wouldn't be a above on the bat flip without our buddy, Comac do Cody Mac with a question for us. Question um, of the week from Comac do Comac do segment of the week. Um, can you talk about the role of positional eligibility for the 2020 strategy 
and how the shortened season may impact it in 2021. So I know we talk about position eligibility for players that we're drafting. I think what he's more referring to is like how do you how many games to acquire position eligibility? How will you use that for next season? Because usually say it's 20 to 30 games somewhere. They're not going to get that probably this season. Um, I've heard somewhere like three to five games to give you eligibility this season. But going to next season, it's going to be kind of a – got to wait and see and see what your league says. Because in reality, if you think it used to be, say, 20 games, 20 into 160, that's a very short percentage of your games. So what do you say, maybe 10 in the regular season to, to go over? It's tough to to gauge. Do you have yeah. any feelings on that? Because it's going to be an interesting question we'll see in the offseason for sure. Yeah, I think, you know, I think the fairest thing always to do is just – 60 divided by 162, which is 37%. And so 37% of whatever you usually use to determine that eligibility, I think should be used. And I think, I think that should move forward just like that, Uh, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, I think you gotta, you gotta respect that for next season for 2021. Um, because theoretically, relatively speaking, it's, it's the same. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That uh, definitely makes a lot of sense. Like 22, 23 games, give or take, will be uh, your wheelhouse in that scenario. Um, I, do, I do think regular position eligible, multi-eligible guys are going to be super valuable. I think that, um, you know, trying to create the best roster each week, the more flexibility you have. You know, I love how on on your pod, which was awesome with uh, Phil Dussault, uh, Dussault, uh earlier this week, you know, I don't know why it hadn't really registered to me, but he was like, when he said there's the 15, the new DH rule, that means there's 15 additional hitters that are going to get plate appearances, you know, every single year. And I don't know why, but when he said it like that, I was like, I was like, damn. And so there's going to be more depth on the waiver wire in terms of hitting and later in the drafts. And for me, it's like, that's going to provide a lot of flexibility as long as your roster can accommodate it to, to, to get the best 14 hitters on a week to week basis, on a day to day basis into your lineup. And I think that's going to be massive over 60 games over a shortened season. I think it's just going to be absolutely huge. And so position flexibility is something that I'm going to be prioritizing heavily, probably more than I should. And we have, there's also just so many unknowns about how, how many guys are going to get injured? How are we going to handle this? How are we going to tackle this position, that position? You know, oh, and one guy for catcher who I forgot to mention is I, Isaiah Kinner-Falefa. Multi-position there's eligibility. Of, there's a <laughs> lot of, yeah, and, and there's a lot of talk about how he looked great in spring and how he was going to get everyday plate appearances. And so if that's the case, that's one thing to be monitoring. But anyways, that was a little bit of a tangent. No, for sure. And, yeah, I'm a big, big multi-position guy. That's one thing I, I think – Listeners by now for the shows have to know. I think I mentioned multi-position eligibility. If you were playing a drinking game, you would never make it to the end of the show because I say it all the time. It's a real, real important thing for me this year. I think it's going to be huge, really, really huge. Hitting the water hard every time you hit. You say multi-position eligibility. There you go. Smart, smart. Play fantasy smart, just like that. Um, Yancey Eaton, good old Yance. Do you scholars? You so, so I like good. that. I like that scholars. Because they're to so be honest polite. with you, we're both we're both intellectuals. Yeah. We're gentlemen and we're scholars. Yeah, like we, yeah. Um, do you <laughs> do you scholars think the market has been sh- slow to react to the news of Eugenio Suarez being fully healthy? 
Where does he rank for you among third basemen, assuming he is fully healthy and starts the opening day? Uh, I would say they've been kind of slow. I'd have them a healthy Suarez. I'd have him ahead of Vlad. I'd have him up there around seven. I'd probably have him ahead of Machado. I'd probably have him about seven or eight, give or take. If you look at the ADP right now, uh, I know you're not a big Rendon guy, but um, where would you have Suarez fully healthy where things are looking right now? I don't know. I mean, I think he's he's probably he's probably just right, but yeah, I mean, I might drop him a little bit because I'd hop, I'd hop, I'd hop Donaldson over him for sure. I just don't love the profile, Hmm. and yes, he's healthy, but he still injured that shoulder recently. Shoulders are tough. Doesn't provide batting average really. Doesn't provide stolen bases. It's not a guy I want early on, really, unfortunately. Well, if I'm in leagues with Toby, more Suarez for me. That's go. the beauty of it. But That was uh, a very scholarly response from us. There we go. Um, I believe, yep, last question of the day from Doug Fraley Jr. at Doug underscore Fraley. There seems to be quite a bit of talk about NL pitchers now losing value having to face the DH in their league. However, I don't see as much talk about them possibly being pinch hit for less seems to possibly cancel each other out, at least outside of the elite-tier pitchers. I'm kind of confused because if there's DHs, they're not getting pinch hit for a period. Yeah. I think what he's saying is we are we are taking away from NL pitchers because they're going to face the DH, but we're maybe not, not – maybe the volume is going to be more because they won't be pinch hit. Oh, they'll get more innings. Yes. Yeah, they'll get I more have innings. Had, I definitely have had that discussion. Uh, I've yeah. seen that discussion. That is a legit discussion because I've said that about – I got um, the, the siege, good old C.J. Kaltenbach, decided to – when I said, you know, guys like um, DeGrom, the elite pitchers, that all of a sudden, instead of after six or seven innings, they might get pinch hit for and he loses his game and he's at like 105 pitches. We know DeBron, DeGrom probably has like 15 more pitches in him. He might get another inning out of him. Or maybe there's a pitcher at 95 through six and they pinch hit because it's a tight game. Now he goes back out and gets two more innings because he gets you know things handled quickly. I could see that happening quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it depends on the pitcher too. Like in yes. those elite situations, potentially, but at the same time, like you know, the worst pitchers. I mean, I think that the NLDH is a huge change. I I can't remember who it was. I think it was either Jeff Zimmerman or Derek Cardi who was saying it's like. Point three on your ERA, you know, like that's, that's, that's the change, which is incredibly significant. I mean, that's a massive change. And I don't think the additional innings pitched overcomes that because the assumption is that those innings are good innings. Right. And we know that a lot of the pitchers who aren't elite like DeGrom are get the third time through the order penalty. So it could be their worst innings, you know? So I think, for me, it's the NLDH way outweighs any additional innings pitch they might get. Maybe it helps out some of the elite guys, potentially. But at the same token, like a lot of those guys are already winning. And so they're kept in the game because the defensive element or keeping runs off the board is more important at that point in the game than not. So I really do think that it weighs incredibly heavily towards the NLDH. I think it's an overall pretty significant hit to NL pitchers as I think you'll see a lot of people. I mean, the change in, in 
the short season for pitcher value was the thing that stuck out for me the most. Um, uh, the most in in a lot of the changes to my valuations when I plugged in the new projections for 60 games. Shane Bieber, 11th overall player using really? the new Steamer 60 projections. Well, that'll make Dave McDonald very, very happy. Dave McDonald will be very happy. Yes. Even Charlie Morton is up to the 23rd because all those NL pitchers are falling. Fall backwards. Yep, they know? fall quite a bit. Yeah. They really do. And so, um, yeah. And I think, and I, and I would definitely take a look at the projections because they're going to be the best at integrating all of the different factors into it. I'm really excited to see ATC updated projections. Yeah. And then Derek's when he comes out, because I know that they're maybe a little bit more in tune with scheduling changes and weather and things like that. So, yeah, ATC, he's supposed to come out very soon, he, but he does it accumulates multiple things. So he's waiting. I talked to Derek yesterday, I think it was. He's just waiting for the schedule. That's all he's waiting for. And so he's, he's literally in a waiting – like if the schedule was out yesterday, he, we'd have the bat X right now. But um, it'll be interesting. He, he tweeted out something pretty cool about the NL teams with the DH, which one's got the best WOBA advantages and whatnot – the Rockies actually had the worst. It was pretty interesting. Like the players, it was an interesting little tool mm-hmm. he had I there. But that. I'm looking forward to it because as much as I like to use StatCast for my analysis, I'm very excited that his projection system is like StatCast enhanced. So I think that's a lot of fun to kind of play with that. But they're all great in their own right, and that's why we love using them all. And uh, kind of that's why ATC is kind of the easiest or best to use because it accumulates all of them together type deal. But mm-hmm. uh, it'll be a lot of fun. To see that yeah. all play out for for um, for Ariel's projections, he did list out who got the biggest boost. So the guys in his ATC projections that got the biggest boost: Yoannis um, Cespedes, Aaron Hicks, Rich Hill. So guys who were who were coming back from injury, um, Clevenger coming back from injury, Nick Sinzel, Jay Bruce, potential DH for the Phillies. Ryan Braun, your boy, Howie Kendrick, Miles Mikolas, injury, Charlie Morton, Jesus Lazardo, Yanni Chirinos, Ryan Yarborough, Tyler Glass now. So a lot of raised pitchers. I wonder why. Well, well, I think it's, I mean, you don't like those Yankees or Red Sox lineups. Blue Jays isn't a walkover. But I mean, the Blue Jays, I think, are overrated. Sorry. No, that's fine. Uh, Orioles are not good. The NL East, you know, Mets aren't that good of a hitting team. Yeah. Marlins aren't that good of a hitting team. Phillies are. Nats Braves. are decent, but Nats are pretty thin too. Yeah. You know? Like there's a lot of top heavy offenses, I think, in in um there maybe isn't that much depth in some of these teams. Yeah, that could be true. But oh, I was but- like I was surprised to see how much Morton went up. Um, yeah, that, that's quite a shocker to get that much raise love like that. They're they're good. Yancey will attest, but uh, that's uh, that's good to good to see because I'm looking. That's why we need these projections. Quick, boys, let's go. Nothing else to do. And we go need on. a schedule. <laughs> yeah, I know we, we got to wait. I know we got. Yeah, they're, be, they're being very cautious on that, which is, I respect that. They're at least showing that they're doing their due diligence, so that's that's good. But uh, yeah. it's a little 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 painful for us trying to figure everything out. But, yeah, I mean, um, I mean, Bubba, even the Red Sox lineup, 
Who do you it's think? not great. It's not great. It's very top. Benintendi, Devers. Benintendi, okay. Devers, yeah. Bogarts, yeah. JD, yeah. Mitch Moreland, eh. Michael Chavis, eh. Alex Verdugo, eh. Yeah. Christian Vasquez, eh. Jackie Bradley Jr., eh. That's a lot of eh. Yeah, there'll be a lot of days where they go off and then like more days where they do nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, yeah. Interesting. Yep. It'll be very, very interesting. But uh, for sure. We'll get to keep breaking that down here in the coming weeks. On video. On video. Yes, on video, maybe on Twitter. You never know. We might just be coming to you in your front yard or your front living room, wherever. You never know. We're just going to show up. Keep your eyes on us, all right? Yes, at all times. So, yeah, make that happen. And um, we'll be back with the second base shortstop outfield recap slash preview for uh, season part two. So that'll be fun. Um, check out Toby on Twitter at Batflip Crazy. Obviously, his podcast at Batflip Crazy. YouTube Batflip Crazy. All the good stuff. Batflip Crazy. I'm on Twitter at BDN Trick. And uh, until next time, this is Bubba and the Batflip episode 42. We'll catch you guys later. auto policy from American Family Insurance. No matter what dreams you're driving towards, that's because our expert agents will make you feel totally protected with the right auto coverage at the right price. You'll also save up to 23% when you bundle auto with home. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.